Welcome to the Watershed Teaching Podcast. Watershed is the high school ministry of Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Perimeter Church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watershed is a place where we hope high school students would connect, receive, and transform. We want to see students connect with God and others through healthy community, receive His truth through gospel-centered, grace-based teaching, and be transformed by the gospel to then go transform their world. Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.perimeter.org slash watershed. Hey, I want to start off with this. Last week, something was brought to my attention, something regarding my talk, that there are people out there who don't believe I have a thousand followers on Instagram. And you're not wrong. I don't have a thousand. I have over 1,100. It's no big deal. I have proof of it right here, because you guys don't believe me. That's not my Instagram feed. Don't worry about it. That's not either. That, oh, hey, well, how'd that get there? That's, oh, is that 1,151? And that's actually not right. It's actually 1,153 now, but who's counting? 1,152? Someone unfollowed me? Which one of you? Which one of you did it? And here's the thing. Here's two things. Two things regarding this picture. Two things. First of all, that Halloween picture, that's really cute. You can't see it right now. It still doesn't have 300. I'm not mad or disappointed, a little disappointed. Are you just following me? That's embarrassing for you. Um, second thing, first thing, that picture still doesn't have 300 likes. Work on that. The second thing is this. I could tell you how many followers I had without having to look at my Instagram feed. In fact, last week, I, I came backstage and me and Rip were laughing and joking about the fact that I was like, yeah, I said 1,000, I actually have... 1150-something. If, if I'm honest, and I like to think I am most of the time, I am obsessed with the amount of followers I have. I'm consumed by it. And I'm willing to bet that for a lot of you guys in here, that you are probably consumed with your followers too. But here's the thing, if it's, if it's not social media, it's something. Maybe you're not consumed with how many followers you have on Instagram or, or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever the cool thing is now. But maybe you're consumed with your grades. Maybe your grades consume you. Maybe you're consumed with your stat line. Like if you play basketball or soccer, you're consumed with how many point, points you're averaging per game, how many goals you scored or should have scored. Maybe, maybe you're consumed with the relationship you're in. Maybe you have a boyfriend and girlfriend and you're just consumed with that. I, I think that all of us are consumed. In fact, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that we're self-consumed. We're self-consumed people. And we constantly want to make things about us. We put ourselves first because if we're honest, we only trust ourselves. It, we make it all about me because it should be all about about me. So what happens is we, we build up th- this lie. We build up this lie that it, it's about us. It's only about me. It's about what I do. We, we build up this lie to the point where it blocks this truth. It blocks this truth that there's, th- that there's not only one who wants, who wants what's best for us, but who knows us better than we know ourselves. We're so busy being self-consumed, we're forgetting about the one who just knows you and wants to love you. So over the past few weeks, we've been in this series that we've called Uncompromising. And over the past few weeks, we've been following the lives of Daniel, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. 
And, and what we've learned is that to live an uncompro- uncompromising, English is my second language, calm down. To live an uncompromising life, like Daniel did, that we have to be able to say no to what the world offers us because we believe that what God offers is better. We, we have to, we, we, we learn that God has authority over all, that he has authority over not just this kingdom, but the heavenly kingdom, and that his kingdom is coming. And, and we've learned that Jesus joins us in the fiery trial so that we may experience glory with him for eternity. And tonight what we're going to talk about is we're, we're going to continue this, this theme about us being self-consumed, and we're going to talk about how, how God restores us. And fixes that. So we're going to be in Daniel 4. But let me just pray real quick. Jesus, be with us now. Would you speak through me? Would you speak through your word? Would you make yourself known tonight? Holy Spirit, fill this room. We love you. Amen. So Daniel 4 starts off a little bit differently than the other three chapters in Daniel that that we've covered. Because it starts off from King Nebuchadnezzar's point of view. It's actually like a retrospective point of view. King Nebuchadnezzar is looking back on the things that have happened. He, he introduces himself to all the nations, and then he, he begins by saying this, that it seemed good to share all that God has done. So he's, he's sharing with us all the things that, that God has done. And if you think about these things, he, he's, he's gotten a glimpse of God's glory throughout Daniel so far. He got a glimpse in chapter 1 when, when this group of four guys, Daniel and his friends, begin to say no to what, not only to, to what the king is offering, the king's offering his best food, he's offering their culture, the, these ideals, and they say no because they believe that their, what their God offers is better than anything Babylon can offer. And then in chapter two, he gets this glimpse of God's glory when he has this dream that he wants interpreted and none of the people of Babylon can interpret it. And, and he sees this glimpse of glory when, when Daniel comes in and, and reveals the mystery of this dream which God revealed to him. God told, told Daniel what this dream was. And so Daniel went to the king and interpreted it. And then in chapter three, we saw how, how Nebuchadnezzar saw a glimpse, this incredible glimpse of God's glory when he saw someone who looked like the son of God, who we believe is Jesus, in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he's, he's gotten these glimpses of God's glory. I, I believe for, for us, we often get glimpses of God's glory too. But just like we'll see that happens to King Nebuchadnezzar, he continues to live this prideful life. He remains prideful. And so here's how the rest of chapter four kind of goes down. So he has another one of those dreams. We talked about dreams a couple weeks ago and how sometimes you have that dream that you wake up and you're just like, ah, something about that dream is just not right. He has another one of those dreams and so this time, instead of, of, of sending out this decree saying like, oh, if you can't interpret it, I'm going to have you all killed. He first, he sends out for the wise men of Babylon. And he comes and he shares with them, hey, here's what I, here's what I dreamt. Can you interpret it? And they're like, no, we, we can't interpret this dream. So then he calls the magicians. And he's like, magicians, like, here's my dream. Can you interpret it? And they're like, no, we can't do that. And then finally he calls Daniel. I don't know why Daniel wasn't the first call. Like, why would you not call the first guy who, who got it right the first time? Maybe it's because he, he didn't want to quite give glory to Daniel's God quite yet. But finally he gets to Daniel. He goes, Daniel, can you interpret this dream? And he tells him the dream. And the dream is this. He has this dream where there's this huge tree that's strong and it's mighty and can be seen from, from all the nations. 
And this, this tree has abundant fruit. The leaves are beautiful. Under the, the, the shade of the tree lie the, the beasts of the field. The birds are nesting in its branches. And then he, sa- he tells Daniel that this watcher comes from heaven. This watcher comes from heaven and says to cut down the tree, to leave the stump, to tie the stump down with, with iron, and then says that his mind will be like the mind of an animal. And that it'll be like this for seven periods. So, so he looks at Daniel. He goes, hey, can, you, can you interpret this dream? And Daniel just looks at the king. He looks at the king and says, I hope this, hope this dream isn't about you. I hope this dream is about your worst enemies. He said, king, that, that tree that you dreamt of, that, that mighty tree, that's you. And he begins to give glory to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you've grown strong. You've grown mighty. This, king is, this kingdom is incredible. But that watcher, really that your whole dream in general, it's a, it's a decree from God. And for seven seasons, for seven periods, your mind is going to be like an animal. And, and you're going to be scattered in the field. And then Daniel warns him by saying this. He says, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. But here's the thing. Daniel gives this warning. He's saying, you know, cast your sin aside. Let's focus on his righteousness. Show mercy to the oppressed. But the thing is, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do that. The thing is, we don't do that. We don't push our sin aside because we continue to make it about us. We continue to make it about me. So that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. And we're going to pick up in Daniel 4, verse 28, and it says this. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Here's the truth regarding our our self-consumed lives. When our pride rises, God will bring us down. When our pride rises, God will will bring us down. Nebuchadnezzar says, is this not my kingdom? Is this not the, the mighty Babylon which I have built? He has this moment where, where all of a sudden he wants to take all of the credit for what's happening. He wants all the praise. He wants all the glory. And before he's finished talking, it's gone. He hears a voice from heaven. The Lord speaks to him. And when the Lord speaks, his will is done. Because at that moment, his mind becomes like an animal. And he goes into the field like an animal. And, and for seven seasons, he's in the fields with the ox. His hair is growing like, the, like eagle's feathers with dew on his back. Because when our pride rises, his pride rises. When our pride rises, God will bring us back down. See, for me, when I graduated from college from the Harvard of the South, University of South Carolina, 
That's exactly what it's called. It's on my diploma. And so, just kidding, I don't have one. So when I, when I graduated college, I, I, I went on staff with Young Life, this incredible ministry that God continues, continues to use. I know a lot of you guys are involved in Young Life. And I went on staff for two reasons. One, I, I believe that I was called to go on staff. I believe that I was called to invest in the lives of high school students. And two, because it was something I was good at. It was something I was really good at. In fact, there, there are people who would tell me how good I was at Young Life. They're like, man, Emilio, you, you'll be great on staff. And so I went on staff with Young Life, and, and I believed I was going to do great things. And I thought that people expected me to do great things. I think even this area uh, in Georgia where I was, they expected me to do great things because I was placed in the area not to just start Young Life in one high school, but to start a brand new area. For a first-year intern, that's almost unheard of. But that was, my, that was my job. Amelia, we want you to start Young Life in Jackson County. And I did. I started Young Life. I, I thought that I was killing it. I thought I was doing incredible things. Like we started Young Life Club. People were coming to know Jesus. People were signing up for camp. Things were going well. And, and what's funny is that because my way was, was going well in, in my eyes, I would fight my boss. I would fight the area director, who at that time was one of the best area directors on staff. Like, you could go out to California and say, hey, do you know, do you know Bart? Like, oh, I love Bart. He's one of the best. But I would fight Bart because I thought my way was better than his way. I thought he didn't know what he was talking about. But the problem is with my way is that it completely ignored certain aspects of staff. Because I, I didn't fundraise. I didn't want to. I didn't raise awareness in the community. And those are things that a young life staff person had to do. So in February of 2009, my boss calls me in for my second year review, and, and he begins by telling me how cool it was to see Young Life starting in Jackson County. I said, thanks. He, he thought I was doing a great job hanging out with students and hanging out with the leaders in Athens, and I said, thank you. These are things I expected to hear. And then he said this, but I think you, you see fundraising as a necessary evil. I think it's not even that you don't like to do these things. I think it's that you just don't want to. And so after April, you will no longer be on staff with Young Life. And I was heartbroken. I was devastated because the one thing that I thought that I was good at was now gone. My pride had got me to a point where it was about me. Look what I did in Jackson County. Look what I was doing with Young Life. And what so often happens is when, when our pride rises, when we begin to put things ahead of God, he takes it away. Because I want you to hear this, while God is a loving God, while he is a just and merciful God, he is a jealous one. When we choose other things that aren't him, and our pride makes us do that often, he has no problem taking it away. But here's the good, here's the good news. The good news is after God humbles us, he restores us so that he may be glorified. And here's how Daniel 4 concludes. It says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And it says, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. 
My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. But now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. His, his reason is returned. He has returned to his kingdom, and it's because he turns his eyes to God and because God decides to restore him. It's nothing that Nebuchadnezzar's done. He's been in the fields eating grass like a cow. But because God would be glorified with him being on that seat, being on that throne, God puts him back. And, and he's greater than before. And all these counselors and, and his wise men, his staff come back and, and they begin praising and glorifying Nebuchadnezzar. But he gives glory to God. He honors the king of heaven. He acknowledges that God's ways are right, that he is just. He recognizes that God will humble those, including himself, that need to be humbled. He gives all glory to God because after God humbles us, God restores us so that he may be glorified. So for me, after I got let go from young life, I got married. That happened. I got married. I told y'all a couple weeks ago, we moved to Costa Rica. My wife uh, found out she was pregnant with our little girl that I had a dream about. No big deal. I was right. She was wrong. And then we moved back to the States in December. She was four months pregnant. We moved to the States to this tiny little town called Rockmart, Georgia, which is about the size of this room. Y'all are laughing. I'm not joking. It's a tiny little town. My wife got a job as a high school teacher at Rockmart High School, and she was teaching science, and she was killing it. And I was busy getting rejected by CarMax. There's nothing wrong with that. I got rejected by TitleMax. I got rejected by Second Baptist Rockmart Church, which is literally the size of this stage. God wasn't done humbling me. Because eventually what I did was I, I got a job working in the shipping department, earning my pallet jack license, that's a thing, at a chicken plant called Tip Top Poultry. God continued to humble me. And, and let me say this, once I was done complaining that, that I was taken away from something, I saw what was in front of me. Because I, I had this incredible privilege. Half the people I worked with were these country boys from Rock Mart. The other half were these, these Guatemalan immigrants. And I got to share the gospel with both. And, and I got to share the gospel, and, and I started to praise God for where he's put me. And no sooner that I started praising God for where I was, do I get a phone call from my buddy Brad. Brad's my best friend. And at the time, he was on Young Life staff, uh, doing Young Life at North Gwinnett High School. Harrison, what's up? And he calls me. He calls me. He goes, hey, Emilio, so uh, there's this guy named Rip. I was like, okay. He works, at some, he works at some church called Perimeter. I was like, never heard of it. And he's looking for a guy with, with Young Life staff experience. Like, would you be interested in a job like that? I was like, dude, I don't know. Let me pray about it. I'll call you back. So I hang up the phone with Brad, and I call him back 15 seconds later. And I say, I was like, Brad, set up the interview. So me and Rip, were meeting at a Chick-fil-A in, in, in Kennesaw, Georgia. And, I like, and Rip's not in here. That's why I'm going to tell the story. Uh, so I, got, I, I call my buddy Brad. I'm like, dude, like, what does Rip look like? How do I know? And you got to know, Brad is like this frat star from South Carolina, like khakis, like Lacoste polo shirts. There's nothing wrong with that. I love it. I just can't afford it. Um, and he goes, all right, go to Chick-fil-A and look for the one guy you would think I would never hang out with. So I walk in, walk in Chick-fil-A and I see this guy with like a beanie and like a sleeve tattoo and gauges. I'm like, hey, you're Rip. And so I walk in and, and I, meet, I meet Rip and, and I get to share my heart, my call. And Rip gets to share his heart 
and, and the, the heart of this church. And about eight years ago, I was hired by Perimeter Church. Not because of anything I did, not because of an incredible interview. In fact, I came close to not getting a job because of an interview, but because it was good and pleasing for God for me to be back in ministry. It was glorifying for him, for me to be in, in a role where I, can, I got to continue to invest in the lives of high school students, where I got to continue to share about Jesus with people. It wasn't for my reputation. It wasn't for my sake. It wasn't so that I could help provide food for my family of three at the time. It was solely because God thought, thought that it would be glorifying to him for me to be in this role. Because God is in the business of restoring he humbles us, he restores us so that he may be glorified. Because here's the thing, God's an expert in humbling and restoring. It's what he does. It's why he sent Jesus who, who left heaven, who humbled himself to come be with man, to be born in a manger, to be raised by a carpenter, to be beaten and mocked and to die so that a, a crowd of people could cheer him on as he's being crucified. And he did all that for the sole purpose of restoring something that we were meant to have, something that we long to have, and that something is a relationship with him. God is in the business of humbling and restoring. And it all starts with the relationship with Jesus. We are created to glorify him, to enjoy him, and there's no better way than knowing the one who does it best. So like King Nebuchadnezzar, like I said, I bet that God's given you glimpses of his, of his goodness. And my question is, have they moved you? Have those glimpses of his goodness moved you? Or, or are you tired of being the center of your own world? Are you tired of, of it being all about you? If, if you're tired, if you don't want to be the center of your own world, if, if you're tired of just getting these glimpses, then, then I want you to hear this, that Jesus has saved you from a life of purposelessness. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus gives us direction. Jesus gives us meaning. Jesus gives us purpose. He gives, us, he gives purpose to those who follow him, to those who call him Lord, to those who are willing to be humbled and restored so they can have a relationship with him. Because here's the thing. We ask that question, what has God done? Nebuchadnezzar, here's what he's done. Here's, what's God, here's what he's done for you. He's offered us something better than what the world offers because he has all the authority in the world and because he is glorified through his son who is glory and who joins us in the fiery trial so that we can enjoy that glory with him for eternity so that we may be restored so that we might live today a life that is uncompromising. Let me pray. Father, we just praise you we praise you for all that you have done. We praise you because you are good. We praise you because you've humbled yourself so that you can restore a relationship with me and with my friends. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection that you give us life. I pray that for all of us in here that we would walk out these doors and that we would live uncompromising, that we would no longer be of this world, but that we'd be citizens of your kingdom. And we pray that your kingdom would come and that you would use us to do so. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.